What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Lisa Van Ayan. I believe things are shifting as far as like the punishing the body. Like you got to train, 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 beat yourself up in order to be the best. I don't believe in that. Usually if I feel constriction or resistance to something, I know that I need, then, I, then I'm like, okay, that's what I got to do. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Lisa, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... We've had these conversations. I'm kind of excited to talk about a number of things, but let's start with being on the U.S. kickboxing team. How long have you studied martial arts? Oh, over 20 years. Wow. It's been a long time. It's been over half my life. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we, talked about, uh, we talked about earlier uh, how you got into kickboxing, and I think that's a story that people will want to hear. But was that, the first, was that your first exposure to this world? I know you did boxing and other things too, but... Was it kickboxing was. what you started with? I started with kickboxing, and then I moved into uh, Taekwondo and Shorei after I had been kickboxing for a while, and then I moved into boxing, and then uh, now I've moved back to kickboxing. Hmm. So and that's sort of the the evolution. Line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and what year did you win that North American lightweight championship? I believe that was in two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. And yeah. your, your boxing, when you were talking about, you know, you know, Friday night fights on Fox and ESPN for the boxing, was that before or after that? That was before. Okay. So that was in, uh, that was back in like 2001, 2002, 2003 that I was boxing in Las Vegas. And now you were, you were living out there, right? Yeah, I moved, I actually was offered a contract, hmm. um, to box professionally. And so I moved out there. I, I kind of hit the peak of the amateur kickboxing scene i had a professional kickboxing fight and then it was like crickets there was no one left to fight and so i i took the offer and was like oh i'm gonna try boxing i'm gonna switch it up a little bit and you told me you spent about three years out there in vegas right i did yeah and and what was the drawback to the frozen north in minneapolis (laughs) the well i was done boxing i mean i just was like I love kickboxing and I, I boxed for three years and it was great. And I had a lot of opportunities. It was awesome. But, um, I was like, I'm done with this. And Vegas is a vortex (laughs) of, of, I want to say like, just, I don't want to say like non-goodness because there's so many people that love Las Vegas, but it's different when you go and you visit and then you versus you live there. I found like so many people were transient. It was really hard to make friends. I felt really lonely. I just felt disconnected and I, I felt like I was drowning a bit actually, and I needed to take care of myself. And so I decided to move back home and that back home for me is like, I'm from Minneapolis moving here meant my family was here. Friends that I'd left were here. So, um, I decided to pack up and come home. Yeah. I'm just laughing about, you know, me after 
seven, eight years in Orange County, California, Southern, Southern California, going back to Calgary. And uh, you go home and you're like, we did this on purpose, right? You know, when it's about January. <laughs> I know. And yes, it's the worst. I moved back in November too. And then I, I literally <laughs> was home for like three weeks and I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? But no, it was, it was a good move for me to come, come back home. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to talk about your speaking and, and some of the products you've done and the book you've written, these other things. But um, staying on this subject for now, thinking about that level of competition um, and, and how, much of the, how much of it is a mental game, but that there is obviously the physical conditioning that's required. Um, when you think about how many people would like to have those physical skill sets, um, but they, they don't really make... Uh, for whatever reason, they're not able to get off the couch or they're not able to get out of bed at five in the morning to, to put in the hours that it takes to, you know, get those neural pathways where this stuff becomes the muscle memory. What, what do you credit as kind of the motivation or the things you told yourself to, to actually put in the hours it took to reach that level? I think that, well, it's, it's so funny. First of all, I never, I, I, I think anybody, anybody who tells himself, well, I don't have the athletic skill or the ability what they really mean is I don't have the drive or ambition to do that, which is absolutely fine. Like some of the, whatever, like everybody wants to do something different in their life and to be like, Oh, I think like, for example, I think it would be really cool to, um, I think it'd be really cool to, uh, hang glide, you know, then when I think about all of the stuff you have to learn and everything, I'm just like, Oh, I'll just watch it <laughs> instead of doing it. But for me, the kickboxing, like when I got into it, it was, it, it saved my life. Like it literally saved my life. And so I found myself really committed to kickboxing in general because I felt, I, I started to feel better doing it. Like I felt better in my skin. I felt better about who I was. I started to discover who I was. I, I like just, I hadn't felt that good in my life. And so for me, it was easy to wake up and to do that. Well, now here, you know, honestly, you know, 15 years after I had started it, it gets a little bit harder and you're like, Oh, well, I kind of got that. So I can skip this. But when you're training for um, an elite competition and you know that you're getting in the ring and it's dangerous and uh, you could get hurt in front of thousands of people and that's embarrassing and all of that stuff kind of drives you. And I also say to myself, it's not forever. Like it's, I just have to do this for a little while. I just have to do this for the next eight weeks. Hmm. You know, I just have to do this for a little while. And I find that when I do that, you know, I just have to do this right now, or I just have to do this for a little while that it helps me generate that motivation to do it. I kind of love that. You know, my mom is a hardcore hiker. She's got this, this crew out in Western Canada that like literally every Thursday, there's not snow there on a mountain somewhere. And, uh, they'll like do like full on, I don't know, 25 miles or something in a day or sometimes on these crazy hikes. And that's amazing. <laughs> like, they call themselves the mountain mamas. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that's awesome. I, I'm like, didn't you know they invented wheels? Why are we walking? But, uh, but, uh, I think about all the hikes I got, I was doing in, you know, the Canadian side of Glacier, Glacier National Park. It's called Waterton and all these things, all my growing up years. And I do think like from what you just said about like when you get on those crazy ones or if it was like a multi-day hike and your backpack's just eating your shoulders, you want to die. When you say like, oh, just one more switchback instead of yeah. like, oh, we've only got 12 more miles today or we've only got six more miles today. When, you, when you're like, ah, just to that one next switchback, maybe we'll take a rest there. All of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I can do that. You know, like mm -hmm. there's the, so that, I mean, everybody's heard the cliche about the eating the elephant one bite at a time. But for me, the like, you know, when you think about the physical side of, well, I'm just going to do the, I'm just going to do the one more rep or I'm just going to do three more reps. I'm not going to think about the rest of the workout. Um, Absolutely. Do you feel that? I, I totally agree with that. I think that you're you're taking it in manageable pieces instead of everything all at once. I, I and it's so you never get there if you don't start. But you know sometimes starting is is really hard. And I think especially it's hard to start if you don't begin with a, a strong desire, vision, and passion. Like you got to have those first. So for me with kickboxing, I have this. Um, I had this newspaper article. I still have it. It's so yellowed and old and it's in like plastic and stuff. Cause my dad had cut it out for me and 
it was one of the things that came to me, like I was older when I started. And, you know, again, when you tell yourself stories, like I don't have the athletic ability, you know, I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, which like all of these, I am nots, Right. But like I started too late in life to actually get anywhere with this. Um, there's this quote by Muhammad Ali. I love Muhammad Ali quotes. I like basically he's just brilliant for quotes, but he has this quote. It's like champions are not made in gyms. Champions are made from something they have deep inside of them, a desire, a dream, a vision. They have to have the skill and the will, but the will must be stronger than the skill. And like, I think about that all the time. The, the will must be stronger than the skill. Like, how bad do you want it? Because you, you see people all the time that really like they want it They're They have hustle and they have heart and they go to town and they get it done. And they don't have necessarily like the easier way or the easier path because they, they're naturally talented or they've got the re like, if you're talking business, they have the resources, they have the money at their, at their hands or whatever it is. You know, when you're telling yourself, I, I don't have what it takes, what you're really saying is. I really don't want it that bad. I mean, I, I really believe that. Yeah. You know, um, it is interesting, this idea of like um, the difference between that level of commitment changing everything, right? Yeah. Um, I think about like, um, well, I think there's a lot that could be said on that. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me is everybody has these different approaches to things. You know, I think about my competitive years in judo and um, – and how much, you know, it's just the muscle, muscle memory from going to the dojo twice a week, week after week after week, versus like when you really are getting geared up for something. Um, and we, we kind of would fight the whole season. You know, we had tournaments consistently. So we kind of, you know, kind of took summers off and then just kind of just we were just doing it straight the whole time through going to tournaments every month. But for you, when you've got something like, you know, the U.S. kickboxing team um, where you're, you know, ideally going to go fight this Pan Am games here in Mexico. Um, and when is that? That's in the fall. In the fall. What, what will yeah. your training regime look like for a workout for something like that? I, I do like an, I, at this point in my life, so it, do, it changes. Mm -hmm. What it used to look like is different than what it looks like now, because like you had said, I have muscle memory. I've, I've created a, I've created a, a vault of skill at this point. So I don't need to learn new things. I don't need to spend the hours in the gym that I did in the beginning. I mean, it's very true when you talk about like you're, you, you have, when you're learning something and you want to be at that elite level, you're going to have to put in the time, but then you hit a point where like, I've been doing this for a long time. So I need to make sure of a few things. I need to make sure that my conditioning is, is spot on. I need to make sure my timing is there. And if you're not fighting all the time, you're, you, you don't have your timing down. So you need to, like, I get in the gym eight to 10 weeks out from an event or a tournament or a comp competition. I'll start, I'll start up like really go again, but I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the gym every day, like busting it anymore. I don't do that. I mean, I keep myself in condition. I keep myself in shape, but what I really like focus in about, I would say 10 weeks before an event. And then I focus in my nutrition. So I like, I'm fueling my body properly. I'm in the gym. I would say at this point in my life, when I have a competition, I'm, I'm in the gym probably not more than three hours a day. And yeah. again, that's, that was different when I was first starting out and I was learning technique and I was learning how to kick with power and I was learning. Now I don't need to learn. What I need to do is just is get back that timing and that conditioning and be able to, you know, feel strong when the competition comes up. So that's like three hours. In yeah. The gym. yeah. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I've, I've got my computer up here and, uh, I'm looking at this picture of you, like with this girl completely laid out and there's like a ref kind of holding you back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's fun that we're going to talk about these things of overcoming hardship in your own life and, just like your passion for empowering young women and, and the speaking and things you do. It, it actually kind of reminds me a little bit of our first guest. Uh, the first episode, episode number one for innovation and leadership is Chip Huth, who was the Kansas City SWAT team commander for a decade and just hardcore guy. You know, these guys are the hundred pull up club kind of dudes. And it's all about unconditional respect and about not shooting dogs when you're going and doing a raid his episode. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fun that you're on the national kickboxing team, but we're going to talk about like helping people care about themselves and, and others. Yeah. So, um, but before we get, so a couple of things that you just brought up that I want to talk about is, 
is timing and nutrition. So in timing, for me, like, again, my point of reference here on the judo side, I'm thinking about, you know, it's so critical if you're going to try and sweep a leg or something that you're catching it right as the leg is about to land, you know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's too late for them to not commit their weight to it. But in kickboxing, I mean, is this speed bag stuff? Is this what, what, is, what is getting your timing dialed in look like? For me, it's sparring. Mm. Like, I, like the, the, I think the the best the best work for time is working working with someone, an opponent, and obviously not an opponent, a sparring partner. So you're you're able to watch and and you know rather than again rather than react, you're responding to that that person's um, moves and how they how they counter and how they attack and how they and and it's so funny because. I don't like, I don't, I I spar, I don't spar very regularly anymore. And it is, it's hard on your body. It's kind of like, I love like all the science too around, even they're saying this, um, um, like people that run marathons and their, their bodies are breaking down. And then there's all this new marathon training that comes out. That's basically like, here's how you can increase your speed, but not put in the, the, the miles and that, that scientifically that that works. So the, I, I believe things are shifting as far as like the punishing the body. Like mm-hmm. you got to train, 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 beat yourself up in order to be the best. I don't believe in that. For me, um, when we spar, a lot of times we work, we'll work just front, we'll work certain things like front leg or we'll work um, speed or we'll do this. I hate this drill because I hate, 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 hate being inside close, which is why I didn't love boxing because you got to be closer boxing and kickboxing. I always use my legs so I can stand out far, but we do this drill where you have to, you face your opponent and you, um, put your front leg inside of a, a big tire and you have to keep your front leg in the tire and then you just fire for the whole round. You're just like firing off punches, right? So you're in super close and you're kind of trying to move, but you can't back up. You can't get away. Um, I hate that drill, but it's like the best one for me, right? The one that you don't want to do is usually the one that you learn the most from. (laughs) So, but I feel like this is such a critical thing. This idea of, you know, it's your training. You can train whatever you want. You know, you should do this thing. It's probably the best for you, but you don't want to do it. Right. Yeah. And, right. and I mean, do you have a coach there that says you have to do it or is this, no, you, you just know you need to do what you know you need to do. Yeah. I usually, usually if I feel constriction or resistance to something, I know that I need to, then I, then I'm like, okay, that's what I got to do. I mm. I've learned in my life, like that, like if something feels expansive, um, that that's what, that's what you want, like expansiveness. So like when, when I find myself like constricting, and resisting, um, that's typically, there's always something there for me. So it's the same. Like if someone gives me some feedback, let's say about my fighting, they're like, Hey Lisa, you know, you're just like dropping your, you know, you're dropping your front hand or you're doing this, you're not doing this right. If I want to be defensive about it, if I want to be like, Whoa, you know, then I know, (laughs) then I'm like, Oh, oh, no, that's what I need to work on. That's where I need to be. So when, you know, my coach is like, this is like you, you stop breathing when you get inside, you tighten up, your shoulders come up to your ears and you stop breathing and you don't move naturally. And I'm like, Oh no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm just going to stay on the outside. You know? And I'm like, okay, no, that's what I need to work on is being inside. Cause what happens, you don't ever know what you're going to get in life or in the ring. And I might get this girl that all she wants to do is fight on the inside. If I haven't trained that and I can't, and I can't feel comfortable there and I don't know what to do on the inside, I'm, I'm not going to do very well in that fight. Cause I'm going to keep trying to push her to the out. Imagine like, I'm going to keep trying to push her to the outside. She's going to keep trying to get to the inside. It's just a struggle. Like if you, can if you can flow with your opponent and you're like oh you want to do that i can do that i can i can counter that i can attack off that i can defend off that if you can do that in anything you're set that's like that sort of that bruce lee be like water yeah you know take the it takes the form of whatever it's like you come up against your opponent and this is the form they take they're bouncy 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 and you're a plotter type you're like oh man this bouncy person is gonna i i can't do this Instead, if they're bouncy bouncy, you're like, oh, I can do bouncy bouncy. That works for me. Or if they're a plotter, <laughs> oh, I can do plotter. So, like, I know where I'm uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable on the inside. So when I get a fighter that wants to fight me on the inside, I want to be able to be like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. I can work with that. And it, it does. Like, you practice it and you get more comfortable with it. So when I do that tire drill, I hate it. But then I feel better. Like, I do feel better about about it. Yeah. 
You know, I'd, I'd love to talk for just a second about the evolution you've seen in women's martial arts. You know, when me and my brother and my friends were doing all our competitive judo, um, you know, I think that's a world where women were very accepted. Like, you know, we had girls in our club, my friend Brenna Harris, she would just wipe the floor with us. And like later I was, you know, five foot two and 90 pounds going into the ninth grade. So it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't some huge guy, but, uh, but like she, you know, there was no ego about the men, women thing. Like either you were good or you weren't. And we all felt a little better about our manhood later when she went to worlds <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and Pan Am games and stuff like this. Right. But, um, for you, like 21 years, I mean, now you have the Ronda Rousey's and the, that, you know, there's a lot more recognition on the MMA, MMA side and things like this, but, um, what are the positive things that you feel like have, have evolved over the years? Well, fighting is like fighting's gained more popularity for, um, for girls and women. So I would say like there's, there's more competition, which is great. So now it's not like, Oh, I'm the best in the world. And there's like two other girls, you know, now <laughs> it's like I'm the best in the world. And there's like people clamoring to, to meet, to meet, to defend that title. Now, this is a, this is, um, a different conversation because I am a full contact fighter, which is still, it's not as popular as like the MMA style. For example, I have gotten a lot of feedback from people that are like, you should switch to MMA. You could like really, and that would be perfect for you because you go into MMA, you can make more money, you get more recognition, you'll find more fights, da, 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 da. I hear a lot of that. And that's, this is a perfect example of that. There's no, there's no defensiveness. There's no, um, there's no constriction for me. It's just, it doesn't feel expensive. Like, yeah, I just say, Hey, here's the deal. I love full contact fighting. It's what I'm good at. It's what I'm passionate about. I tried boxing for a little while. And while I had a good time, I never, I, I just, I never found that, that feeling that I have when I do full contact kickboxing. So even if it's not popular, even if I might not be able to get as many fights, even if, I'm not going to get as much recognition. I'm going to stick with what I'm passionate about and what I love, and that's full contact. So, um, and then I just say that that's just where I'm at, and it, there's no like no constriction to it. It's just like, hey, that's this is I know I know who I am and I know what I love, and it's not MMA. And but I do watch it, and I would say, especially in the MMA, I've seen a lot of girls that I know. I know fighters. A girl that I used to spar with, Jessica Rakowski, she's a boxer. Um, she went pretty far in that. Um, that MMA like reality competition. She made it to like second place in that a few years ago. And, um, I've also got some other just girlfriends that have switched from either tie over to MMA or full contact over and they're, they're killing it. They're, they're doing a great job. But the great thing is, is there's so much competition for them. And that's fun. Like when you're an athlete, you don't want to be like, Hey, I'm the best, but I'm the only one. (laughs) You know what I mean? It feels Mm -hmm. good to say, Hey, I'm the best. And there's like, 45 other people that I've fought and I've beaten in that, you know what I mean? So having that, having more people in the pool is one of the best things that's come out of it. And also because they're starting earlier and they're getting trained, they're spending more time getting trained. So the quality of women's fighting has improved like just exponentially. Like, like, you know, way back when I first started fighting, you'd watch some women's fights and, you know, it would be, sometimes it'd be hard to watch because there was like not really good tech. I'm, I'm, I'm like all about technique. I love technical fighting and, um, you'd watch them and be like, Ooh, that's kind of ugly. I don't really want to watch that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but not now, now you watch there's those girls, they really put on technical fights that are incredible to, to witness. You know, I'm really, I'm really fascinated with you talking about choosing not to go to MMA and not having a bunch of strength and a bunch of uh, anxiety and, and um, defensiveness about it. You know, I, I wrote this big email to Derek Sivers last night. He's kind of a famous CEO guy, wrote, invented like the first online music store, CD Baby, his TED Talks have millions of views and stuff. And I was listening to his podcast on James Altucher. And I feel like the guy has like given such a gift to me of like, kind of like do it the way that you want to do it. Like, there's that Richard Branson books, screw it, let's do it. Or Austin Kleon's book, steal like an artist or Hugh McLeod's mm-hmm. book, uh, ignore everyone. And there's like, I've got these like four or five. And now Derek Sivers is like number five to this list of people that are like, Hey, you don't have to follow the shoulds in a way that mm-hmm. I actually like that really connected with me. And, um, for me, like it, it is interesting to like, 
you know, being a business guy, especially in finance where you're doing, doing these big multi-million dollar deals, everybody wants to golf. Golfing's like this status symbol, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, you guys, that's expensive and takes a long time. You realize we could go dirt biking or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I've always just, I've got all my meetings done over lunches instead of on the golf course. And, um, but I've always felt this should of like, well, if you're going to be a legit businessman, you really need to golf, you know? And, uh, so I love these people who are willing to be open and out there about like, no, you need to do what you connect with kind of thing. And maybe that's not, maybe it isn't, you know, full contact doesn't have the spotlight MMA has right now, but like the quality of life doesn't come by living up to other people's shoulds. Absolutely. Um, so nutrition, um, you know, I, I, as a skinny guy, kind of an ectomorph body type, right? I, I, uh, always wished I was born with muscles on top of my shoulders, like those other guys, you know, kind of the less than kind of, oh, poor me thing. And so when I meet with guys that have given me really good advice for putting on muscle, it's funny how much more they talk to me about nutrition than gym time. Um, Mm -hmm. talk, talk to us about your nutrition strategy. Uh, I'm, that is, I believe that's minimum effective dose to, okay, let's say most people that are listening to this podcast, like probably don't desire to be an elite athlete, but I would guarantee that 99% of them desire to live in their, their best body to live in like their, their ideal body. Yeah. And your ideal body lives in your nutrition. It does not live in the gym. It Mm. does not live in the gym. And so I 100%, I believe nutrition is the minimum effective dose to your best body. Meaning like if you want to, who wants to see, if you want to spend four hours a day in the gym, you want to like do crazy stuff, right? If you want to spend less time and get more results, you focus on your nutrition, not the gym. And for me, that means like I eat, I eat whole foods, no process, no sugar. I mean, specifically when I'm training for a competition, um, I am not a like I'm not a huge fan of supplements. I'm not a huge. I'm really like try to get as much of my nutrition as I can in whole foods. That said, I do use I have. Um, some shakes that I use that are their isogenics products. I think they're really, really high quality products that I'll use to get extra protein or to like really fast fuel. Sometimes I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so wiped out. I can't even think about like putting together all the, all my nutrient needs right now. So I'm going to put a shake together. So I do that. Um, but like for me, it's mainly protein and vegetables is, is what I focus on and then complex carbohydrates. So those come in the form of like quinoa, sweet potatoes. I um, steer clear of bread, crackers, you know, I mean, it's all a lot of the things that a lot of the things that you you hear again and again out there are tried and true, I believe. Well, they're so not, this they're, is something they're not diets, they're actual like their actual like methods. One of I'm going to say one of my favorite yeah. books is um, Michael Pollan in Defense of Food. Mm. I love that book, and he's got this um, this little guidebook um, that goes within Defense of Foods. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's like it's just these little like pinpoint practices. It's like eat most of your calories when you need them. Duh. Like, like how many of us are backwards and like sit down to eat a huge dinner at night. And then you, then you're like going to sit in front of the TV and go to bed. You need to eat your dinner in the morning. (laughs) Like eat, like eat your calories when you're using your calories and then taper it down by the end of the day. All these are like little practices yeah. that I, that I put into place for my nutrition that are really important to me. Well, maybe we can get you to uh maybe we can get you to write something up for people who are interested in this and we can email it out to people as like a an ED, a PDF checklist kind of bonus material something or something. Oh um, yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. Uh so when you look at supplements, I, I think there's a ton of us out here who feel overwhelmed by choice. You know, like mm-hmm the muscle milk and the, this and the GNC has 4 million different products. And you know what I mean? Like everybody claims to be the best and everybody's got their supposedly independently tested, (laughs) you know, we paid for independent testing (laughs) on our, right. So tell us why you picked the brand that you like and, and, um, you know, there's such a sea of, of choice there. Yeah. Uh, it's really the integrity that go that, that goes into the isogenics products, the scientific backing, all of the research that they've done. Um, the products that they're using are high quality. They're, 
Um, they're backed. It's not, um, I would say there's like Isogenics or Metagenics is all, another one. That's really great. Are, they, are like, those different companies or is it different they, product they lines? Are, they're different companies. Okay. But Metagenics, you can only get through your chiropractor. Hmm. So the nice, the nice thing about Isogenics is that it's um, – something you can order on your own it's it, it's um it is it's set up as an mlm as well mm. so like if you promote it like if, if it changes your life and you promote it to people there's potential for you to make to to make income from it um i mean that's a whole nother story of course but then really what i like too is like even it, it, how often do you do that how often does like well imagine you're 30 pounds overweight and you like make some shifts to your nutrition and it's not a diet. You're like eating well. You're taking care of yourself. And then you maybe started using these products that helped you. Um, and then people are like, holy crap, what'd you do? And you're like, this is what I did. And, <laughs> and then they're like, here, here's the deal. This is what I did and this is what I used. And then you show them there's, you know, like with that, it, it doesn't take that much to actually even just have your products paid for, which is my favorite thing because that's like being a professional athlete. You get paid to do your thing. So you get like paid. That's like you're sponsored by Isogenics, basically. Like you're sponsored to look good. <laughs> and and so how long ago did you read this book, In Defense of Food? The, Michael Pollan's book. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I read that. I feel like I read that a number of years ago. Um, he's, he's tremendous. And he'd like, it's really, it's, it really promotes whole foods, which is again, like, I don't think when I, even when I tell people, I'm like, yes, I use isogenics products. I don't like, I don't use the whole gamut of what they have. I use a few of their products and I use them to support, I use them to support simple meal preparation for me. Yeah. Cause it can be harder to get all, like it can be harder to focus on all the nutrients you need and be making, making your meals. So I use them, I use them to help me out with that when I'm busy. And, but generally I think that you can get where you need to be just eating whole foods. Um, hmm. there's a, there is a program out there too, um, that's, that is a little bit stricter than I like. Um, but it's called whole 30 and it, I believe it's a book and, um, it, it also, I mean, it, for the most part, it supports a lot of the things that I that I teach with nutrition. Nutrition, or I talk about. It's a little bit stricter than I think. I I believe you got to have some fun in your life. <laughs> okay. Like I'm not I, like I'm a big I'm fan not, of fun. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not giving up the cheese. I'm sorry. I love cheese. I love you know. I I I can. I don't need to do dairy. I don't do milk. I do coconut milk or almond milk. But cheese. I don't want fake cheese. <laughs> I want the real. I want the real thing. Yeah, I'm a Mexican food addict. I, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, so, something we really like to talk about on the show is about um, kind of breaking up the groupthink and getting outside influences. And you know, usually people don't make a they don't make a breakthrough. Like when you when you're trying to make another ten percent difference, and you're iterating and iterating and iterating, you typically want the experts and people who've been through what you've been through to help you. But when people are trying to make like drastic, drastic leaps, they usually don't find those from within the community that's that's currently hitting the hurdles. So I'm interested in the, you know, the Taekwondo and the boxing and what you think that brought to your kickboxing. Um, interesting question. Uh, like had well, you not studied those, what do you what do you feel like you'd be missing out on? Well, this is what happened for me with the boxing. I will say this. I came back. I was a kickboxer first. I went out. I boxed for three years. I didn't use my legs at all. I came back. I was like, okay, I'm done fighting. And then I got a, I got a offer to try out to fight on the U.S. kickboxing team. They were like, hey, you know, there's a lot more full contact happening internationally. We could really use someone like you. Just like let's let's do a fight with Canada and see how it goes. And this is one thing is I am much, much better with my hands. So like the three years where all I did was punch and I, I learned how to – I box a lot better than kickboxers do. So like a kickboxer oftentimes, especially a full contact fighter, usually comes from a taekwondo background. And so what you'll see is you'll see a lot of the you know kind of flippy high kicks mm -hmm. and they're, then they are not so great with their hands. <laughs> um, I punch really well. So um, I can I can fight really well with my hands. I put together combinations with my hands really well because of the boxing. And because I started in kickboxing before I started in taekwondo, I have a lot of power when I kick. 
I really learned how to kick for impact and not kick for show, which like in Taekwondo, you get a little bit of that, like, here's the form and it's all fancy and they're kicking high and it looks really pretty, but it wouldn't really like, yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. Like it wouldn't really impact someone. That's what I started, right? My, my first years were all Taekwondo years as a little guy. Yeah. And it's cool. It looks like the movies jump up, you know, jump higher than your head and kick the boards and break them, whatever, you know, but yeah. it almost like for me, like I, the, the martial art I studied. So I, you know, from Taekwondo to competitive judo for the teenage years and karate. But the one I studied most recently was Krav Maga and I was interested in it for the utility of it where, yes. you know, the, the Taekwondo, like, don't get me wrong. People who are awesome at it can, can wipe the floor with, with somebody else in certain situations. But for me, it almost, some of it had like kind of strayed into like acrobatics or gymnastics more than, you know, efficiency of the, the purpose of what it was for. Um, yeah. So that, it's interesting for you to, to talk about that difference showing up in the ring for you there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like, like people, you know, even um, it's funny, like even in self-defense classes, I feel like some of the stuff that gets taught is really outdated. You know, they're like, do this front snap kick to the groin, you know? And I'm like, why? Like, you, <laughs> if you don't kick right, you can break your toe. If, you, if you're if you in a self-defense situation and you kick someone in the groin, you're going to make them mad and they're going to lunge. Like, you want to, like you said with Krav Maga, it's about the utility. It's about, like, it's about devastation. Like, you want to you, you wanna take someone out with one move, then you're going to stomp on their knee. You're just going to take your heel and kick down because you're going to be able to kick with a lot of power and pressure when you're kicking down and do it right on top of their knee. It only takes three pounds of pressure to blow someone's knee out. I mean, obviously you're not going to do that in the ring, but I'm saying like you think about like Krav Maga is about, it's about devastation. It's about like the fastest way to, to incapacitate someone. Well, and I think it's, it, it's what you're using it for. Like I think plenty of people could argue that the form of judo I did was sport judo. You know what I mean? Like this is not, you know, this is not like uh, the the Japanese police judo, right? I did sport judo. Yeah. And, but you know what? I was a teenager, and my parents said, "Every kid in this house has to be playing a sport of some sort. What one do you want?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it was great. You got to go full tilt, and you weren't putting your friends in the hospital. You know. Mm-hmm. Where the Krav Maga, like I knew, I knew later on that year, I was going over to Nigeria with the U.S. Special Operations Command to go teach the Nigerian Special Operations Command, and. You know, there'd been the bombings in Abuja and when we were there, we're in armored, armored vehicles the whole time. And there's lots of dudes with AK-47s. And it was like, it was a personal safety thing as much as anything else. Absolutely. It it wasn't a like, Hey, I need to get up my nervous teenager energy. So, you know, I don't want to rag on anything. You know, there, there are different, different things for different uses. Right. Oh, absolutely. No, I think they're all, I think they're all great. Yeah. You're just, um. It again, you're just you're. It depends too on in the ring. Like someone that's a kickboxer with a taekwondo background, they're going to be really fun to watch, you know, because <laughs> because they're going to be able to do a lot of flippy, like cool. They'll do reverse back kicks in the ring. I mean, I and I do that kind. They of, talk I, about I, scary. <laughs> I, I learned I learned that kind of stuff, and I like I've I've knocked people into the ropes with reverse back kicks. It gets so many oohs and ahs. They love it. Spinning back fist in. You can't throw it in amateur competition, but in pro fights, the spinning back fist, I would hit people so hard with that, and everyone loved it. They were like, whoa, that's the coolest thing. So, you know, like doing that stuff, You, but I think like there's – because I started in kickboxing, I was learning to do it to, to, to impact versus, you know, like, hey, for a form. When you're learning to do something for a form, it's different. It's kind of like, you know, if someone said – you know, I'm a kickboxer and all they've ever done is cardio kickboxing. That means something different than me saying I'm a kickboxer. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not good or bad. It's just like, it's different. like, Hey, yeah, I do kickboxing. And usually if someone's like, Oh, I kickbox too. I'm like, really? Where do you kickbox? And then they're like at the Y and I'm like, okay, cool. That's awesome. And then I know when they said the, what that they kickbox at the Y that they do cardio kickboxing. (laughs) And then, and then we're probably not going to have a further conversation about sparring or fighting or any of that. I'll just be like, yeah, that's cool. I kickbox too. I don't, you know, there's everybody again, like you get to pick your, you get to pick what you love to do and do that full tilt all the way with as much passion and energy and enthusiasm as you have in you. And if someone wants to criticize you for that, then that, like they can go someplace else. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It, it is interesting saying no, you know, like I'm the guy who wants to do everything. And for me, like 
I really like BMX bike or downhill mountain biking or things like this. But I know like I've had so many, uh, tearing tendons off my ankle and tearing my MCL on my knee and stuff like this that like I I'm saving like all, I would do stuff like that for fun, but the stuff that I'm really going to try and knock it out of the park is going to be the snowboarding and surfing and skateboarding and and maybe motocross maybe because (laughs) like those are the things that. that I'm willing to, those are the things I'm willing to get hurt doing, but like downhill mountain biking, like it's fun but I'm just not willing to like push it to the level, you know, I'm not willing to like break bones over it. Cause I want to save myself to break the bone skateboarding, you know? Um, right. You, but it's funny that I think as a kid, I thought I could always say yes to everything. And it, it is interesting learning to say no to certain things. And you, you know what you can too. I love that. You can say yes to everything, but if you say yes to everything there, there, it's not likely that, I mean, like a Matt, who was that guy that was it? Um, who was that athlete that did baseball? Do you like baseball, basketball? Like, I don't know. There was Oh, Bo Jackson. Yeah. Bo Jackson. Right. Didn't he do like a few different. Yeah. He was really football and baseball is what he was awesome at. Okay. Football and baseball. But he like, think about the, think about that's one person that I can think of. (laughs) Right. One person that I can think of that was elite at more than one thing. Right. Um, and most, most people that are elite, they, they're, they're elite at one thing. You can do a lot of things and have fun with a lot of things, but if you want to be the best of the best of the best, well then that takes hustle and heart. That takes time. It takes dedication. Uh, Tim Ferriss is a great guy that talks about like getting into this particular percentage with like, with the least amount of work, like how Mm -hmm. you can learn just enough of a language to get by or how you can, you know, just learn just enough enough of this and this and this and and those tipping points but that's that's to like be passable that's not to be elite elite and at the top if you want if you want that then yeah you're probably gonna have to be you're probably gonna have to pick like one thing and really really focus on it and really be all about that sure well um we like to ask all our guests um what advice they would have for us at our charity with child rescue trying to prevent child sex trafficking and you know, rescue the kids that are there, get them aftercare. But uh, I, I feel really lucky to have you on the show today because I, I want to hear, I mean, you're, about both the work you're doing already with EndCrowd um, and your own, you know, your own personal feelings about this issue and the subject. Um, so t- first, tell us what EndCrowd is and, and maybe talk a little bit about your, uh, the passion we share for this issue. So yes, yeah, so NCrowd is a crowd, it's a crowdsourcing um, organization for that the money goes directly to nonprofits working to end trafficking. So they're specific to like speaking of you know needing to be specific and having a focus. They raise funds, but all of the funds go into um, nonprofits that are specifically working to end sex trafficking, either in prevention, um, liberation, or recovery. And um, I have. Um, I was abused when I was growing up and, and really found like after many, many years, like found my way up and out. And, um, for me, just the, like I, the idea of like freedom for every girl and I, you know, it's not just girls that are being trafficked. Of course, I just, I, th- I think in terms of that, a lot of the work I do is with girls and young women. But, um, for me, the idea of someone waking up every morning and their alarm goes off and they don't have a choice of what they want to do with their day because they're being trafficked because they're enslaved is just it's it's unacceptable. I mean, that's that, that not even the strong it's not a strong enough word for me. Like my 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 goal in life and it's like t- talk about ambition, passion, really like wanting something is the, the end to see the end of sex trafficking in my lifetime. When people are like, well, that's impossible. But you have to like you have to believe something's possible. I believe it's possible. Um, and I just want to do whatever I can to work towards that. So I do, you know, I teach, I do, I teach a curriculum that teaches girls self-protection and self-love. And then on the side, I've got this, I was like, okay, I really don't have the money that I want to have to put into some of these organizations. I was like, what could I do just right now today to make a difference? And um, I started this project, 365 videos in 365 days. So I shoot a video every day, and um, there's a fundraiser page on NCrowd. I shoot a video. Yeah, we're gonna every day. put a, we're gonna put a link to it so that we can awesome. we can try and get yeah. some people to help. 
so to, that basically just demonstrates like, here's what it's like for me to live my life free. I'm hoping that in the videos, like that every, like everyone that's watching, everyone that has a Facebook account, I post them on Facebook for the most part, that has a Facebook account that's watching. How many, like you're all free. Like if you're listening to this podcast right now, like I'm pretty sure you're living free, you know? That it's most likely that you're living free. And when you wake up in the morning, how aware of that are you? Do you wake up and say, I am free? Do you wake up and say, I am capable? Do you wake up and say, I'm on fire? Or do you wake up and say, I'm tired? Because like you create, like a free person creates their own prison with their I am statements. I'm tired. I can't do it. I'm not worthy. You know, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good enough. Oh, yeah. I'm not enough, you know. You create your own prison as opposed to like choosing your ions, like choosing to wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm I'm enthusiastic about what's going to happen today. I am looking for miracles today. I am excited excited about the work I'm doing in the world. I am excited to interact with whoever needs needs to hear what I have to share today. You know, I am, I am in this, in this way, like you create this, you create this, um, this vivaciousness around your life and that impacts everybody around you. So for me with the videos, like to impact someone that's watching the video, whether or not, I guess the goal is to, to have money going to help people get out of slavery, but also the goal is to bring awareness to like your choice. Cause imagine if, imagine if a hundred thousand more people in the world were living consciously aware of their freedom, bringing vivaciousness to their life. Imagine, imagine how that shifts everything, you know, even one person doing that shifts everything. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, so that's kind of a little bit behind it. I, I love it. Do you, have you heard of this book by the Stanford professor, Carol Dweck called mindset? It's I, incredible. I haven't. And I'm going to, what's her name? Carol Dweck. We'll put a link to it on your page on iCollective.co, on the Ideation Collective website. We'll put a link to this book. It's incredible this, um, you know, when you, it's one thing to hear people say stuff like that. um, And it's easier to ignore when it's just somebody. This book is excellent in the way it lays out the the very scientific case for um, what becomes possible depending on mindset and not have it sound like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's easy for anybody who... I think it's easy to dismiss things as like, oh, that's that's woo woo, and that you know, that that's just somebody saying that. Where's the proof? And right. So for me, this book is pretty epic, in especially as a parent and the way it it helps relate to how kil- children are brought up and what decisions we can make in influencing the next generation purely by our word choice. What what thoughts we invite them to take by the way we phrase the questions we ask them. Um, <sighs> I cannot, I cannot, I'm totally going on Amazon and buying it right Yeah, now. it's <laughs> so good. Everybody should. I can't should. believe I haven't read it. That yeah. sounds, sounds um, like it's right up my alley. You know, I, I love hearing you talk about this with such passion. You know, it's it's funny. I have such div, like polar opposite clients for my coaching business where I've got this, I've got a handful of CEOs and then I've, I've got some abuse survivors and sex trafficking survivor and such different worlds. Um, but uh, there is like... Um, it's really encouraging, I guess, for me. I, I, you know, there's so many, especially young women, who who have traumatic events that um, almost become uh, almost become bigger than the event in the way that they get relived in their mind and the limitations that they put on themselves. So it's really exciting for me, you know, seeing people like my mother-in-law who go from, you know, she was trafficked as a 12-year-old in Santa Monica, California. And went on to essentially have the American dream. She, you know, she broke that cycle, so it didn't happen to my wife. She goes on to raise a dentist, and her children are, you know, business owner and activist, and the American dream. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know. I love hearing your story about what you've accomplished in what you've overcome, and and that you want to pass this on. Yeah, I um, that it's incredible, like that, especially that break the cycle. I love that you said, you know, just breaking the cycle. That um, that we there. There is a collective cycle. It's, you know, there, there's a, whether or not you've been through um, exploitation or trauma or not, there's a collective cycle of um, disrespect and um, for, towards women. And um, objectification, and objectification, sexualization, you know, all of this. This is the, and in order to in order to see the end of sex trafficking, 
there needs to, we need to hit a tipping point, right? Like that, like anything, there's that tipping point where it hits like mass that yeah. where, what is that? It's like, well, think about William Wilberforce ma- 200 years ago in England, it took him 20 years to get slavery illegal. And then another 20 years to get those slaves let go. But that guy was changing public opinion and got the tipping point in his favor and the laws changed, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like that to me, that breaking that collective cycle is so important. And every, like every person, just how they choose to live and how they choose to think and what they choose to believe and how they choose to look at um, exploited victims too. There's that one of the things that's really shift we're working on shifting right now is, is how, um, how survivors are are looked at, right? And before they're survivors, they're victims, right? And the victims of sex trafficking are so often not what you'd expect to see, and they're they're being criminalized, mm-hmm. and they're not being supported, and um, they're not being uh, helped to get out of the life. And I think even some of that stuff, I see some of that shifting. It feels really positive to me in general. There's so much more awareness around it. And, and I really like, I feel because sometimes you get, you get, you can get weighed down by the fact, like it's scary how scary what's happening in the world. And it's like, you look at the statistics of trafficking and it's scary, but I really try to look again, just what you focus on expands. So really try to look at even this conversation that we're having right now and the work you're doing, like, you're like, how can, how can you, um, what's the one thing that you can do with your, with your vision and your purpose and your mission is just to like every day, keep doing it every day, keep living it every day, keep sharing it. You know, and that's where that's that's how it grows. You said something great before we turned on the recording. It was like you're like, <laughs> and, and, and granted, you want to you want to find best practices to get where you want to get, right? So I can just like not have the like you want to you want to deduct and figure out best practices to get whatever it is in your life. That said, let's say you don't know what best practices are. You don't know where to start. You've got a basketball. There's the best way to shoot a basketball. You don't know what it is. No one's taught you. You haven't started looking yet. You just start shooting, right? And you shoot and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot. Eventually, you're going to make it in that basket. Yeah. Like, you know? And (laughs) granted, if you had best practices, if you had, like, Michael Jordan over there showing you how to shoot properly. (laughs) We could do it faster. (laughs) You'd probably get there faster. But if you don't, you don't, some, some of it is, some of it is finding best practices is about failing a few times. <laughs> Listen, I'm, you figure it out. Yeah, I'm not opposed to a little bit of blunt force trauma on the way. Like I, right. I yeah. the sales, you know, I look at these large sales, whether it's securing large amounts of investment or, or multi-million dollar services contracts when I was in the consulting world and my style is completely different. But I remember a dozen years ago in California, I used to make, um, Let's see, I would make 100 cold calls a day. When I started my sales training company, um, I would make 100 cold calls to the East Coast in my Huntington Beach garage between 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. And then I'd try and get another 50 phone calls to the West Coast in the, in the next two hours, right? Oh, my and I knew I knew I would get three appointments a day, and we were selling our appointments to another sales training company. And so I knew my math, and it was like, <laughs> it was not skill. But it was not skilled, but it worked. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, you know, I hate cold calling and I would, I, I, I don't think I've cold called in years, like years and years, over a decade probably now. But, um, but hey, it, you know, it got me to the level where I could gain the next skill set. And right. Um, right. Well, and it goes back to that quote, right? You got to have the will and you got to have the skill, but the will must be stronger than the skill. So the truth is, is that that will wins, that will wins out. Like how bad, how bad do you want it? Like how willing are you to just dive in and go for it and shoot again and again and again and again and again? And the the thing is, is like, it's, is the next shot going to make it in? I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe not. You don't know it. Like, because people will say, I've been shooting for 20 years and I haven't made it. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do instead? Are you going to sit on the couch and do nothing? Yeah. How many times did Abraham Lincoln, how many times did he get beat in his political debates? And like, I get the argument of you don't actually want to practice bad form and build the neural (laughs) pathways for the bad form. But, you know, if the option is don't get started until your form is perfect or get started with imperfect form, like you can't steer a parked car, people, you know? 
right? Right, right, um, yeah. Okay. Just like, just like hit, hit, just like drive that car into the wall if that's what you got to do. Like, that's better than not doing anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think having skill and technique, it's important. But one of the ways that you learn it is by practicing it poorly a few times. Yeah. And the truth is, too, is if you practice it poorly, but you're doing it, you will also draw the attention of mentors and people that are like looking at you actually working towards it. And they're like, hey, guess what? I see you working so hard and believing in this. And I think it's amazing. I have an idea that this might work a little bit better for you. But they're not going to notice you or see you if you're sitting, you know, if you're not doing anything or sitting on the couch thinking about how you can't yeah. get there because you don't know how to get there. You know, I, I totally agree. And I like what you brought up about trafficking, that it doesn't look like the way people think about it. You know, especially here domestically, yes. so often family is involved. You know, um, in, in our family situation, it was previous generations that were involved in in how the next generation got exploited. And, you know, we we obviously you've got the gamut from, you know, organized crime, MS-13, to the traditional like pimping type of trafficking to the, the family member side of it here in America. And yet I find if people will just start talking about it, like there's so much shame. I don't know if you've read any of the Brene Brown books or seen her TED Talks, but we're like huge fans of hers. I love her, yes. Um, it's amazing to me. Like I remember we had this huge concert with like 311 and Third Eye Blind and Dashboard Confessional and Neon Trees and all these bands came out. We had a festival raising money for tra- for trafficking. And um, I am up on stage talking to all these thousands of kids that came out and my like best friend, this sponsored snowboarder kid that I was in his wedding lineup. He was in mine, like, you know, super best friend. He's like, you're kidding. That happened in your family. I can't believe that happened to your mother-in-law. That happened to my sister-in-law. She Mm. got, she got kidnapped from Salt Lake city, Utah and taken to Las Vegas. And Mm. my father-in-law, um, you know, is ended up getting her back and all this stuff. But it's like, this is like one of my best friends. And we never talked about this happened in our immediate families. Right. Yeah. And so, um, the nature of people being able to, being willing to talk about it, it, it's just wildly surprising how many times someone who's a good friend of ours has a direct connection or one degree of separation connection from, you know, somebody getting tricked and then being forced to do things against their will. And, um, and yet as soon as people start talking about it, all of a sudden, like you shine some light on it and the shame dies, you know, and we can start coming up with answers. Yeah. Um, do you I have agree. any thoughts I on that? that? I think talking about it and speaking up is, it, it's, it, it opens, it opens worlds. It really does. I've had that happen in a few retreats with women where just telling my story, it's amazing what, what else people feel comfortable sharing and. Yeah. Um, yeah. And taking the shame out around it for me, that's huge too. Just like, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big one. It's a, it's big, it's heavy. It's hard to talk about. People don't, people get uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And you're just Mm -hmm. like, you know, how do I do this without getting in someone's face and saying like, this is important and this is what, this is what needs to happen. And this is what you need to know about it. But you know, you just, again, if you're passionate about something and you have a dream and a vision, nothing's going to, nothing's going to slow you down. You just, I will say, you're just going to go for it. You know, (laughs) back to the basketball analogy. If you're not even throwing the ball at the hoop though, it's not going to, it's not going to go well. Like our our first, (laughs) our first six months, we told people the horror stories. Oh, you wouldn't believe this terrible story. And like the dads in the, the dads would say, well, I just give me a $1 problem solver and let's, let's shoot these guys. Or the moms would like curl up in the fetal position. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's just so terrible. But then they wouldn't do anything to help. And six months in, right. we, we accidentally started talking about a success story of this girl who got out. It's amazing. America's most wanted caught her trafficker. It's, it's an incredible story. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden all these people are like, that's amazing. How could I help? We're like, you want to help? This is great. Like, so for us, you know, you tell a success story and the, and the horror story gets told as a default, like, you know, with this issue, that's not going to get left out, but success breeds success. And, um, it's kind of exciting. Um, go ahead. That's so true. And that is one of the things like when you talk about also like eliminating the shame, because when I say survivor, like the, you know, the survivors are the survivors that speak up, like, this is where I was. And this is, this is where I am now. Those are, they're huge game changers, but the survivors also, you know, there, there needs to be in, in that recovery process that, uh, that, um, that teaching and that, um, training to help them understand, like, 
how to tell their story and 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 have their story be a part of their life but not be in the story like to be able to stand on it and say that that just like for me it was forever I didn't want to talk about what happened to me but you know now I find that it's it's such a huge catalyst for me and impacting people to say hey this is where I was this is what happened to me and this is where I am now this is what's possible the survivors really have can reach into people's hearts and and help them see the the, the the beauty that's possible when we all band or like we all come together to break that collective cycle and look at look at it differently you know yeah I love it yeah. um, and I love that you're uh, you know you're you've you've overcome this and now you're going on American Ninja Warrior <laughs> I know so that's this is the thing so when you pick the thing right I'm gonna say that my thing is kickboxing and it is. So I am actually hashtag kickbox ninja when I go on American Ninja Warrior. So I make no mistakes. What, what, cha- what channel is that? What's the network it's, that produced it's on, it? It's on NBC. Okay. And the thing is, is that it's not my, it's like, I love it. I think it's a blast. And yes, I'm training for it. My hands are all ripped up right now from like working on my upper body strength. And I'm really focused on getting ready to compete in three weeks. However, there are people that they have just like, they spend their entire year training for this. This is a perfect example. They spend their entire year training for this course that they get to go on. You don't get to practice on it. You get one run. You get one try. And if you don't make it, then you have to go back and apply again to try to get on the show again. And 50,000 people are trying applying to be on the show. Wow. Sorry. Don't worry. Uh, only a few hundred are – only a few hundred make it onto the show. So, you know, here you are. You're just like um, – you're, you, you just give yourself to, you give everything to something. And, and I would say I'm not, I'm not totally that person, but I'm going to go out there. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do the best that I can. And yeah, I'm excited about it. Well, tell us about, tell us about the book you wrote. I, I know we've only got a little bit of time here, but uh, tell us about the book that's coming out in the cards. Okay. So, um, I wrote a book called, um, I am a girl's guide to harnessing superpowers. And it's a, a guidebook that goes through, it's an A through Z guidebook, um, teaching the power of I am. Uh, we, in, the, in the guidebook, we use like the alphabet. So like the first one is I am active. And we talk about um, what you can, how you can implement a- activity into your life to be powerful and positive and confident and secure. And it just goes through the alphabet like that with um, pieces, with action pieces, with some journaling and with some doodling. So you're getting the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain working together at the same time. Um, I teach in the curriculum that I created, I teach really the power of the words I am because whatever you put behind I am is who you become. So being really cognizant of those words um, and having, I want to say like, uh, like an arsenal of I am words that you use, like qualities that you are. I'm adventurous. I'm athletic. I'm excited. I'm enthusiastic. I'm balanced. I'm flexible. I'm brilliant. I'm epic. I'm awesome. You know, like if you can just fire off all of these amazing things about yourself, um, it's so interesting. I work with girls mainly between the ages of eight and 12 and it's really, it's really difficult for them to describe who they are. And a lot of them don't know. So talking about what are you really good at? Um, you know, what do you want to be good at? What excites you? What lights you up? Who do you want to be in the world? Because for them to understand that who they want to be in the world is up to them and not up to anyone else is so important. Like whatever anybody else says about you doesn't matter. It's really up to you. You choose who you want to be. Um, and so this book is really uh, meant to kind of take them through some different possibilities of who they can be. And it, they, it goes with these. I created these superpower cards that kind of operate the same way where like you can shuffle the cards in the morning and take a deep breath and say, okay, like, what's my, what's the I am superpower that I'm going to bring with me through the day? And then, you know, you pull out, um, you pull out awesome. I am awesome. And then there's like a little mantra that goes with it that you can kind of bring through your day. So bringing um, awareness and consciousness to, to even your I am through the day. Like, it's so nice to wake up in the morning and be aware in that first minute. If you think I'm tired and go, wait, 
I don't want to think that because I don't want to be tired. So I am enthusiastic. I am energetic. I am excited about this day. Now imagine if you just like kept working that into your whole day so that it wasn't just in the morning, but it was like, you know, throughout the whole day you were interacting with, I'm enthusiastic. I am excited. I am loving this day. Um, so that's, that's a little bit, they, so I'm working at, they're not for sale yet, but they're, it's so, yeah, yeah. so, so, it's so, Speak, so, so close. Yeah. So um, close. That was actually my next thing is, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I've got daughters that age and, um, uh, so somebody like me who, who wants to see these things come out, where should they stay tuned? Where should they be watching for this to come out? The on com. I will have a link when they're ready and for sale. The, I also, my, uh, the business, uh, that I run when I work with girls is I am com. And so they'll also be available there. Lucky thing for you. See, you're on the inside and we're friends. So all you have to do is give me your address. I've got like some sample. Co- <laughs> I've got some sample copies I can send to you. I knew this business um, thing would work out somehow. I know. See, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, it's, it's crazy too. This is the thing. Like how many people say, I've been saying for a long, how many people say I want to write a book or I want to create something and then they don't do it. And it was to the grind for me on this. Like it was like this needed to come out of me, but I wasn't always motivated to do the work on it. So I had to really like keep the end in mind. And now once I got the sample copies in my hands, I kind of felt like I was done and I was like, nope, you got to keep pushing, Lisa. This is like the last. This is the last few miles. You got to f- find out about distribution. You got to get that sales page up. All of the things. Because now I kind of want to sit back and be like, "Oh, I finished it." But it's not. You know, not until it's it's available to the public will I feel like I'm complete with it. That's great. I feel like we could easily fill another hour. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> it's been so fun chatting with you. I yeah, yeah. Like, appreciate you making the time. time. Appreciate you making the time for us. Absolutely. And like any time for sure. I, I haven't had such a great conversation. It's, I, it's been a while since I fought. So it's, I haven't had such a great conversation about fighting and, and discipline and focus and martial arts. And that was really fun. It, remind, <laughs> it reminds me how much I love it. That's great. Okay. Well, thanks again. Yes. Thank you. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.